Welcome back, fellow football fans. I am your host, the NFL Always Offseason GM, Fred. And got a great show here. Got a great show. Uh, it was a great week of football. Uh, our picks didn't quite do as good as they have the last few weeks, but they're still above 500, so we're still a bunch of winners here. Uh, we got a great uh, show playing with our weekend review headlines, and then we're also going to do our pick up like we normally do for this next week. Uh, we're coming to you live on Thursday uh, morning, so we're a little bit late getting this out to you here. Uh, we're still going to sneak in before the Thursday night football game, so it's not like we're going to be cheating on those picks. And then uh, we'll, as always, we'll add a little bit of content at the end. We're going to do NFL draft stock up and stock down. Some guys that have really helped their case for the draft this upcoming year and some guys that have really hurt their case this year with college football. So always fun to dive into that stuff. But without further ado, we're going to get right into our head, or some breaking news, actually. Some breaking news that came off the wire yesterday. So for breaking news that came off the docket this week, the first piece was the release of Jalen Smith. And Jalen Smith was the former second-round linebacker for the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, if everybody remembers back in like 2016, he was playing for Notre Dame. And he had a horrific knee injury that nobody thought he was ever going to be able to play football again. And he was selected in the second round. He rehabbed it for like an entire almost two years. He sat out an entire year at the Cowboys and worked with their training staff to come back. And he ended up playing at a Pro Bowl caliber for at least one year. I know that for sure. And he signed a huge extension. I don't know if it was this offseason, this offseason prior, but it was like a four-year, like 40-some million dollar extension to stick with the Cowboys and really be an off-ball linebacker. And then... uh we see him in this year's draft take Micah Parsons, who's kind of played that hybrid off-ball edge rusher role this year. And they also selected Jabril Cox in the fourth round, who was a guy a lot of people believed had a ton of upside to go with Leighton, uh, Leighton Vanderish and Jalen Smith, who's already there. And now we're seeing the Cowboys mid-season release Jalen Smith and really eat a ton of dead, dead cap. It's like $9 million, $11 million in that range. And basically for him to not play for them anymore so it'll be really interesting to see if he sticks with somebody else I I know there'd been some questions about his play recently I thought I seen somewhere online that they were talking he was the 11th ranked linebacker by PFF this year so that's not that's not bad if he was I know he's had some athletic limitations after the knee injury but he's he's still able to play in some capacity so I'll be curious to see if he sticks anywhere. The, the rumor on the street currently is that the, the favorite is the Green Bay Packers, which we all know I'm a Green Bay Packer fan here, and it'll be interesting to see if that really comes to fruition. I know that they've had some holes at linebacker. They've really tried to find a guy to fill that role. So it could be a great fit if he's still got some left in the tank, but it remains to be seen if he does or not. So Jalen Smith, released by the Cowboys, most likely headed for Green Bay. The last piece of uh, news that came off the wire yesterday that I really wanted to make sure that we got included in this episode was going to be the release slash trade of Stephon Gilmore. So Stephon Gilmore, former defensive player in the year of 2019 for the New England Patriots, widely regarded as one of the top corners in the league, was rumored to be released by the Patriots and hitting the open market. But before he could get released, he ends up getting traded for a six-round pick to the Carolina Panthers. So first off, I think Stephon Gilmore is definitely a top-level corner that can still provide for your team. In terms of whether or not he deserves a long-term contract, that remains to be seen with the team that, or obviously with the Carolina Panthers now. But uh, I just, 
I think he's really a guy that can contribute this year. If you're a team that was looking to win this year, which the Carolina Panthers have been impressive, especially on the defensive side of the ball, uh, he's definitely a guy that can help your team right now. And with all the injuries they've had at corner, it seems like J.C. Horn isn't coming back uh, for the, the short term here. And they ended up trading for C.J. Henderson and now for Stephon Gilmore. Those are two bookends that can hold it down while J.C. Horn's out. And when he comes back, you have some serious depth at corner now. You got a top 10, two top 10 draft picks in addition to a guy that's a former defensive player of the year. So that's really exciting to see what they can do in their defense. Uh, There was rumors out there that he had a bunch of different destinations he wanted to go to. A lot of teams were sniffing around it. Uh, It was rumored that the Green Bay Packers wanted him. That would have been awesome. I would have loved that because I think he's got a ton left in the tank. Like we said, but this is a guy that was a defensive player of the year just two years ago. Uh, There had been rumors swirling that he wasn't happy in New England, that he wanted a contract extension, that he wanted a ton of money. And we all know New England likes to get rid of guys a year early rather than a year too late. So he ends up going to the Carolina Panthers. I think they're really moving the needle in the right direction. They've really shown shown some great promise this year. Uh, They had a little bit of a hiccup this last week with the Cowboys, but that's, that's water under the bridge. We can get to that later. But either way, former Defensive Player of the Year, Stephon Gilmore to the Carolina Panthers for only a six-round pick, the same compensation that was traded for Randall Cobb. So huge news, two big nuggets that I wanted to make sure we fit in today. The first big storyline from this weekend is and probably the most important one that came down is going to be Tom Brady breaking the all-time passing yardage record uh, that was formerly held by Drew Brees. So essentially all Tom Brady needed was 69 yards in order to break the record, and he did so in the game. Uh, the, the game was really itself was a really good game. It was, uh, it was super dreary. It was uh, downpouring the entire time, and it was really just a heavyweight battle between uh, the New England defense and the Tampa Bay offense, and it, it didn't disappoint. It looked like both teams really wanted to win this game. And the Buccaneers ended up squeaking out 19 to 17. You could tell weather was definitely a factor. Just a lot of drop balls, a lot of off balance passes. But uh, still, the the Buccaneers managed to outgain the Patriots by about 90 yards. And they did win the turnover battle as well. Too New England was minus minus two, Tampa Bay's plus two. So they pretty much won every facet of the game, even though New England still had a chance to win by kicking a field goal at the end. Uh, I'll bet it was a 56-yard field goal. So it's a pretty tough tough break for them there. But like I said, it didn't disappoint. It looked like a vintage heavyweight knockout, dragout fight. And honestly, Mac Jones was impressive to me. I thought he did a good job uh, dispersing a ball around, not making mistakes. And keeping the game within striking distance, uh, one thing that they're going to have to fix, in my opinion, is going to have to be this rushing attack. Uh, this this entire team is built on the rushing attack. You know, Damian Harris being able to pound the rock, and they end up with negative one rushing yard. So moving forward, that's something that they they'll have to monitor. And also their third down efficiency, going two for nine for New England, it's just not that impressive. It's I understand the weather's a factor, but at the same time, we still got to be find ways to convert on third down, stay on the field and keep your defense on the sideline. But still, still a great storyline, still great that uh, Tom Brady gets this record, even though it was definitely within range this week. Moving forward, the second storyline from the weekend, and I think one of the more impressive ones, if it went to Ben for the record, is going to be the Cardinals versus the Rams, and the Cardinals standing alone as the last undefeated team. 
the Cardinals were extremely impressive in this game. And when you take a look at the box score, they dominated every single part of this game. They outgained the Rams. They were more efficient on third down. They gave up no turnovers. They were plus two in the turnover battle, and they dominated the time of possession. So when you add that all up, you get a win by 17 points. And honestly, the most impressive part of all this is their rushing attack. And it's not because of Kyler Murray. We all know what he can do on the ground. But they were dominant with their running backs. Their Chase Edmonds and James Conner combined for 170 yards and two touchdowns for about 170 yards on about 30 carries. So you're looking at about five and a half yards a carry at least. And that that's dominant, especially against this Rams front seven that includes Aaron Donald. So I think, honestly, I called this before the weekend. It felt like a little bit of a trap game with uh, the Rams coming off a big win against the Buccaneers and the Cardinals kind of being one of those ascending teams. Like, this is their, hey, I'm here to prove it game. And they really did. They really showed out. They, in my opinion, they, if not the number one team, they got to be top three. So Arizona Cardinals are for real, guys, especially getting a big road win in uh, the new SoFi Stadium. Moving forward here to the third storyline is going to be the New York Jets versus the Titans. And really, this wasn't really highly touted as a big game this weekend. I honestly thought that the Titans were going to cruise to a win. And when they didn't, I was actually quite disappointed. But when we're taking a look at this game, how it unfolded, the, the Titans were pretty much playing from behind for a majority of the second half. And when you take a look at it, Zach Wilson was, in my opinion, the most impressive rookie in week four. Uh, in a week where a lot of the rookies started to put it together. But uh, Zach Wilson ended up being uh, 21 for 34, almost 300 yards. He ends up with 297, two TDs and one pick. And really, the, the Titans just dominated this box score, this the stat line, and pretty much every part of it. They won the turnover battle. They had the most time of possession. They outgained the Jets. The Jets just hold, held on and had some nice chunk plays. And like I was talking about with Zach Wilson, you've seen him doing a lot of the stuff he did at BYU, getting outside the pocket and uh, creating on his own and being able to, to stretch the field, really showing off some of that arm strength that everybody had comparing him to some lofty expectations like Rodgers and that. And I just, I was really impressed. I I, th- I think they might have had a dude if he keeps playing like this and he's, key, he's able to create. Uh, on the other hand, I, it's not as impressive as just because I think this Titans defense is extremely suspect. Uh, outside of maybe Harold Landry, I don't know if they have anybody on this team. I know Carol, Caleb Farley ended up sitting out with an injury, but at this point I think that's something that should be expected with a guy of his caliber and his status coming into the league. And Bud Dupree, I just they just they couldn't they couldn't round it out. I know they're missing a lot of their weapons on offense, but when like I said, that you four hundred thirty yards of offense, you're not really missing those guys. So I really think that this defense is something that we need to keep an eye on. That needs a serious upgrade. And um, we know Variable is a big defensive guy, so hopefully they can get that under wraps. But this is a this is a one that the Titans are going to want to have back losing to the Jets. The fourth storyline here is going to be the Bengals versus the Jags, and the the Bengals squeaking out a win. And this is one of our top storylines for factors other than football. But uh, we'll start off with the game and give their Bengals their their due because they're on top of the AFC North, and I don't think anybody's seen that coming. But really, the Bengals kind of 
controlled this entire game after halftime. At halftime, I think they were down, was it, yeah, 14 to nothing. And they ended up scoring uh, 24 points to 21 and winning in, excuse me, winning in overtime. Or not overtime, excuse me, in regulation. But they, they really controlled the entire game. They kind of mounted a pretty stellar comeback. Joe Burrow dominated the passing game with 342 yards. They didn't turn the ball over. And they only allowed one sack, which is always the big thing with the Bengals, is how is their protection around Joe Burrow? And they get this win in fashion where they're at home, one they need to win against a team that's not very good. And the Jaguars, honestly, in the first half, I thought they were going to come out and kind of route the Bills. Trevor Lawrence was looking great. They were doing a great job of like getting him outside of the pocket and using his legs to to get yardage because he's very sneaky fast. He's he's very sneaky quick twitch. And on that read option, he's when you're watching the game, he's able to plant his foot, go get upfield, and get the needed five, six, seven, eight yards, and then just get down. And when, especially when they got in the red zone, I think he ended up having a couple or had one touchdown for sure. And I, I just really liked that rushing attack, and I really liked them getting them outside of the pocket. They really were starting to cook with something there, and I, I wish they would have hung with it and tried to do a little bit more and control the clock. But they got real, real stagnant in the second half, and their defense started showing some holes. But the real reason this game is going to be our fourth storyline, and it's been huge the last couple days here in the NFL, is the whole Urban Meyer saga is going up in flames, it seems like. It seems as though at every turn he's making the wrong mistake, and it's really starting to cost this team. Uh, there's a huge timeline of events, but the one this weekend that really was the, the the straw that broke the camel's back is he's seen, he doesn't take the team plane, which I already seen on Twitter that that was one of the main things that everybody thought was was extremely awkward, but he doesn't take the team plane back with the team, which tells me that if I'm on the team, like coach isn't good enough to travel with us. But then he stays home in Ohio because obviously he's got connections there from Ohio State. And he's seen out in public at a bar with some young girl dancing on him. And it's extremely incriminating, especially for a guy that preaches his faith and a guy that is always constantly talking about family and all of this. It's just a terrible look. And the message coming out of Jacksonville is he needs to regain their trust. When you're a new head coach and you're four games into the season, you don't want to hear your boss telling you you need to regain their respect and trust. Uh, that That's a huge red flag. There's some seriously bad uh, culture problems going on there. And for a guy that really prides himself on culture, that's that's not a good MO to have rolling into the season here. So it's I didn't think it'd be a red flag. It didn't I didn't think it'd be panic button this early for Urban Meyer. I honestly was in the, the camp that, hey, let's give him a little bit of time and see what he can do. But it's it's serious panic button time in Jacksonville. And uh the trying to think the word here I want to use to describe this situation. But the, just the turmoil continues to roll on down there for them. Uh, and it doesn't seem like there's light at the end of the tunnel at this point. So the last uh, storyline I wanted to hit on from last week is going to be the Chargers versus the Raiders. And honestly, this is more about the Chargers than it is about the Raiders. The Raiders were a great feel-good story. I was on the wagon saying that I thought they were legit. I thought that offense was extremely high-powered. But when you go back and look at the watch the game, 
the Raiders were absolutely dominated and stifled the entire first half. Uh, that Chargers defense, I've said it a couple weeks in a row now, is extremely legit. Uh, in week three, when Derwin James sat out for part of the game, they still were just getting after Kansas City. And then they come out this week and they do the same thing to a, an offense that had the MVP favorite in Derek Carr dealing through three weeks. And I think maybe they had like 40, 50 yards of offense in the first half. It was it was quite the impressive showing. And then on the other side of the ball, you look at it, they have Justin Herbert, and he looks like he is the real deal. This is a dude that is dealing. This is a dude that's confident, and he's able to put the ball where he wants it. And he's got some weapons out there, Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, Jared Cook, Austin Eckler, that are really going to be able to help show his strengths at all three levels of the field, deep, intermediate, short. And really, when you take a look at the box score, they they dominated everything. They outgained the Raiders by 167 yards. Uh, they didn't turn the ball over. They were plus one in the turnover battle. They beat the time of possession by like eight, nine minutes. It's It was just an all-around route by the, the Los Angeles Chargers, and it was never really much of a game. So the Chargers get a, get a big one at home, and they're rolling in the next week, just climbing the power rankings. They're going to be a... They're going to be a force to be reckoned with this year, I believe, especially after knocking down Kansas City and the number one uh, AFC West, or excuse me, not number one, but one of the top AFC West teams in Oakland Raiders. So that's going to be it for our uh, top headlines. Let's roll over into the next segment here. For our Jameis Winston unlikely hero of the week this week i wanted to go with trayvon diggs just for the fact is i don't know where i'm going to be able to get him this award just because he is absolutely on a tear but at this point he's already a top three corner in the league in my opinion this year so we're not going to go that route we're going to go another route and we're going to go with jd mckissick of the washington football team and the reason we're going to go with jd mckissick is when you take a look at his uh stats on the year they're not that great. 15 attempts for 56 yards and 12 catches for 142 yards and a touchdown. So he's not exactly this high-volume worker. But when we take a look at Sunday, he was playing against the Falcons at the Atlanta. And the Washington football team's trailing in the fourth quarter with less than a minute left. And Heineke hits him and takes it about 30 yards for a score, gets in the end zone, which is seconds to spare give them the go-ahead lead uh, to win the football game and that in itself is impressive it's a guy that he's not a high volume dude he's maybe like their third down back they throw check downs to this isn't Antonio Gibson who's supposed to be this big breakout running back on the scene this is JD McKissick he's the third down back everybody just knows him as a receiver getting these crunch time catches and really capitalizing on it so that's why I went that route and the only thing that even added to the allure of this is J.D. McKissick was coming out of college, an undrafted free agent, and uh, the team he ended up signing with in 2016 was the Atlanta Falcons before the season started. And even before week one, was waived by the Falcons. So it's a little bit of a revenge story here, and that's why I like it. That's why I like this pick. So J.D. McKissick, our unlikely hero of the week, uh, his final stat line for the game ended up being Seven attempts for 15 yards. He had five targets for 44 yards and a touchdown. So to me, I think that qualifies as unlikely. So J.D. McKissick, your Jameis Winston, unlikely hero of the week.
So our next segment here is going to be our week five pick It's coming to you live from our mobile studio here. We're recording it on the go. But uh, last week we were nine and seven. Or, so it's not terrible, not great. Uh, we had a couple of 13 and three back-to-back weeks. Uh, I had a couple parlays that fell through because of the New York Jets. So thanks, New York. Uh, but hey, here we are, week five. We're back at it. We're going to bounce back this week. So the first game of the week is going to be Thursday night football. And honestly, when we take a look at it, this is probably the best Thursday night football game that we're going to get in some time. It's going to be the Los Angeles Rams at the Seattle Seahawks. And Los Angeles traveling to the 12th man there. Seattle really getting their act together against the 49ers in a game that I thought that Seattle would lose. It's going to make this a pretty intense showdown. Uh, I believe that the Rams are going to come out on top on this one. I can't see them losing back-to-back, especially after beating the defending champs two weeks back. Uh, I know they had a tough one against Arizona. I think Arizona's extremely legit, and I don't think Seattle's defense has got enough firepower to stop that Arizona offense. Or, excuse me, Arizona, the Los Angeles offense. So I'm going to go with the Los Angeles Rams over the Seattle Seahawks this week. Moving on to Sunday, the first game that we're going to be taking a look at is going to be the Jets at the Atlanta Falcons. And the Jets had an impressive win over the Tennessee Titans. I don't know if this means more about the Jets or if it means more about the Titans. Uh, At this moment, I'm leaning more towards this means more about the Titans not being very good than it does about the Jets being better than expected. But uh, when we take a look, this Atlanta defense is awful. It's terrible. It it let uh, Washington score 34 points on them this past week and really let Taylor Heineke look like a competent quarterback and now they're rolling into the New York Jets who are starting a rookie so that helps them in their favor as well but I think New York Jets have a very solid defense I think Salah brings that scheme over and I think that they're really stout defensively but on the flip side when we go back to Atlanta here the offense still has some firepower Uh, I don't know how but Cordero Patterson ends up with three touchdowns and uh, Matt Ryan's just dealing. And Calvin Ridley doesn't end up with any. And Kyle Pitts has been almost non-existent through four weeks. So I really think that this this Atlanta Falcons offense has, has a higher ceiling. They can really strive to be more. And they're not even really utilizing the run game at this point, other than Cordero Patterson. So I'm actually going to go with Atlanta in this game at home. Uh, I really like the Jets' defense against... Atlanta, but I'm going to go with the the, the quarterback experience here because in the in the in the regard they do find a way to get after Zach Wilson. I'm just going to bank on experience over the the guy that's never done it before, and this is only his fifth game of his career. So I'm going Matt Ryan and the Atlanta Falcons. In the next game, it's going to be the Patriots for, at the Texans, and when I'm taking a look at this one, I'm seeing a Patriots team that's reeling. They're coming off a loss. They're one and three. Their back's up against the wall. But they played the world champs tough. And you got a Houston Texans team that has almost zero identity with Tyrod Taylor out now. Uh, They were absolutely trounced this last week by the Bills. It was never a game for even one second of the game. It ended up losing 40 to nothing. And Davis Mills looks like he needs to go back to the bench and they need to find another option at this point. And that's putting it kindly. So I'm rolling with the Patriots here. This isn't even a question. The Patriots have a top five defense. It was, I mean, they, they basically almost shut down the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to the best that you could call it a shutdown and really made that a game. Uh, Mac Jones is ho- hopefully going to find his footing here. 
like I said, he, he wasn't terrible last week. There's some room for improvement, and I think it's going to happen this week against that uh, Houston Texans defense. So I'm going the Patriots over the Texans. And then in the next game, it's going to be the Lions versus the Vikings, and it's going to be at uh, Minneapolis. And really, the, the Detroit Lions, I, that was one of the teams that I was, like, sneaky impressed with this year. I thought that everybody had them chalked up to go, like, 0-17, 1-16, 2-15, and they looked like they had some fight through three games. And then I go and pick them to win over Chicago, and they completely no-show. It was it was almost embarrassing. Uh, I know uh, Dan Campbell is probably not impressed with that. But nonetheless, they get to go to the Vikings this week. And the Vikings, honestly, don't look like a terrible football team. They've lost some close battles here. And really, Mike Zimmer's playing for his job at this point, uh, going one and three. This is a, a can't-lose game. This is a can't-lose game for the Minnesota Vikings. This is a get-it-right week, and I think they're going to they're gonna beat the Detroit Lions. Uh, the Detroit Lions, like I said, they're, they're scrambling. It's not been impressive so far. Or Actually, it has been impressive so far, just not last week. Minneapolis finally gets one on the board here. They're going to go over the Detroit Lions, and Detroit Lions continue 0-5. Rolling right into the next game, it's going to be the Philadelphia Eagles at the Carolina Panthers. And really, I I thought was one of the game of the weeks last year, or last week. I even said it before the week, was Carolina at Dallas. And Carolina held their own against a very, very good Dallas offense. Uh, it was, the game kind of got away in like the third quarter when Dallas took a few, a few score lead there. But they battled back. They ended up losing just by eight. And really, I don't think anybody actually believed that that, that Carolina defense was the number one in the league. But nonetheless, they made some good strides, and it was showing to be much improved with a bunch of young players around everybody there. So the Carolina defense, I think, is going to get right this week. They get Jalen Hurts in the Philly offense. That They did throw up 30 points on the Kansas City Chiefs, but they're pretty porous on defense as well, too. And honestly, I think this is a get-right game for the Carolina Panthers. Uh, the schedule's going to break pretty favorably for them here. And uh, I think they're going to get a win this week. Carolina over the Philadelphia Eagles. Rolling right into the next game here, we get the New Orleans Saints at the Washington football team. And honestly, I think the football team played above its head here when they were playing against Atlanta. I thought that was a game that they were going to lose for sure. They ended up having a, a, a sneaky good play to J.D. McKissick to, to really seal the deal there. And honestly, they get one that they probably shouldn't have had in, in that game. So I'm really going to roll with the New Orleans Saints here, mainly just because I don't see them losing to this team. The Washington defense has not been as impressive as everybody thought they were going to be. Everybody thought that this was going to be like a top-five unit, but then they give up 30 points to the Atlanta Falcons. On the other hand, this New Orleans Saints team underneath Sean Payton has been very up and down, very up and down. Uh, You beat the Packers, and then you lose the next week. Then you go to the Saints. Oh, my gosh. Then you go to the Patriots, and you win. And then you lose the next week <laughs> to the the Giants. So who is this team? Who are the New Orleans Saints? I have no idea. We're going to find out this week. I think they're going to get back. They're going to get back in the right the win column here against the Washington football team. I think their defense is is better than the Atlanta one that we seen last week. It's going to give Taylor Heineke some more fits that he they're not exactly expecting. So I'm going Saints over the football team. Next game, it's going to be the Titans versus the Jaguars. And honestly, 
If this was any other team but the Jaguars, I might be looking to take them in this matchup. But the Jaguars have an absolute storm, storm right now going on inside their administrative office with their head coach and ownership and in the locker room. It's it's just a mess there. So this is a great opportunity for the Titans to figure out, hey, what's going on here? Let's get our offense moving. Let's get these receivers healthy. Let's make a good push. We're in the weakest division in the NFL. Let's really get this one. Let's get a dub here and let's get back on track which I think they're going to because Jacksonville Jaguars are an absolute dumpster fire at this point. Rolling right up into our next matchup, and this was one of my my surprise sleeper picks of the year was the Miami Dolphins really making some noise in the AFC East, and I could not have been more wrong about that. Uh, Two has been hurt, so they're losing their signal caller who hasn't even played up to his ability in the games he did play this year. Jacoby Brissett is a spot starter uh, against bad matchups where he could maybe pull out a win for your team, but this isn't going to be one. It's the Dolphins at the Buccaneers. And the Buccaneers, with all the weather issues this last week, they still had a ton of offense, just didn't score a lot of points, which I think was more credit to the Patriots' defense than a knock against the uh, Tampa Bay offense. So I I think that this, this could get ugly, and it could get ugly fast, especially if they played they get in the end zone like they did in last week instead of turning them field goals into touchdowns this could get ugly fast uh I don't think two is coming back this week just yet uh so it's going to be the Jacoby Brissett show again and if that's the case it's man I just I just don't have a lot of faith hopefully Tampa Bay gets some of these corners back eventually here because you know Richard Sherman it's a great story he's found another home here but he's 33 years old and he's been playing for a week he's a few days off of getting signed and he was thrust right into action so in all reality here let's let's taper expectations there's what I said last week and I think we need to still do that with this defense and I think that this rush is going to do a lot more favors than the back end's going to but regardless I'm taking Tampa Bay over the Dolphins especially at home rolling right into the next matchup here it's going to be the Green Bay Packers against the Cincinnati Bengals and honestly this is a, a surprising two three and one teams matching up here in the noon slate we get two division leaders as a noon game an early game and they're facing off with Joe Burrow against Aaron Rodgers and honestly I didn't expect the Cincinnati Bengals to be here but I also didn't expect the Ravens to lose half their offense (laughs) offensive backfield through the year and then uh, lose half their defensive backfield on the other end so here we are. Last week, the uh, Packers got the best of the Steelers. Really wasn't much of a game. They really kind of ran away with it. They, the Steelers managed to stay within striking distance, a couple scores, but the Packers controlled the whole game. They really, really dominated that matchup. And when we take a look here, I think that they're going to do the same thing to the Bengals. I think it's going to be closer than expected just due to the injuries the Packers have on the defensive side of the ball with Zadarius Smith out, Jair Alexander, I'm guessing is probably going to be out with that AC injury or AC joint injury. So that's going to be an opportunity for the Bengals to throw some points on the board because they can do a good job of that. They can, they can really get points in bunches, especially with that passing game and Joe Burrow. But it's going to be exciting to see what Rodgers can do against this defense because I don't think Cincinnati's very good on that side of the ball. And Aaron Rodgers, as we know, is very good on his side of the ball. So I'm taking the Packers on the road at the Bengals.
rolling right into the next matchup. It's going to be the Denver Broncos at the Pittsburgh Steelers in a showdown of all defense this game. If Teddy Bridgewater can't go, this offense is extremely stagnant that we've seen against uh, the Baltimore Ravens this past week. And really, it sounds like Big Ben's not going to go either, which probably doesn't make a big difference for the Steelers because it looks like he is completely washed up at this point. It seems like he has almost nothing left in his arm. And he just really can't push the field. He's really just taking checkdowns every play. So it'll be exciting to see uh, what options they have at quarterback behind him if they go with Dwayne Haskins or if they go Mason Rudolph. I think it sounds like it's going to probably be Mason Rudolph. And the Broncos would have Drew Locke in that situation. And we've seen the Drew Locke experiment in years past. So I'm actually going to go with the Denver Broncos in this situation just because I think Mason Rudolph is absolutely nothing. I think he's just as bad as Ben Roethlisberger. I think you'd be better off going Dwayne Haskins. And really, it's just a matchup of the defenses. Whose defense do you think is better? And at this point, I think the Denver Broncos defense is better. I think that they are extremely locked down. They have great pass rush. They have great coverage on the back end. There's almost no questions with their team. Whereas the Pittsburgh Steelers have a great front seven. There's a couple questions in the secondary behind Joe Hayden and Minka Fitzpatrick. So I'm rolling with the Denver Broncos over the Pittsburgh Steelers. Right into the next game, we're going to see the Chicago Bears at the Oakland, excuse me, Las Vegas Raiders. And really the Vegas Raiders had a, a rough, a rough time this last week. Uh, we, we hit on it in our headline segment, but that offense did not look right last week. Uh, this, this Chicago defense looked legit, but we got to, we got to, focus in on what's happening here is that that's the Detroit Lions they looked like they were a top unit against the Detroit Lions so when I take a look at this matchup I'm gonna roll with the Raiders over the Bears especially at home I think it's a get right game for the offense they aren't gonna have to worry about scoring 30 40 points they can maybe get away with the mid-20s just because even if Justin Fields goes again he had some great moments. He's able to move the ball down the field, but he's still making some questionable decisions. It's not as good as they want. He's, Like I said, he's he's a work in progress. He's not a finished product at this point. So we, we can't expect too much from the guy. So I'm going to take the Raiders over the Chicago Bears at home this week. Moving on into the next game, and this is actually another great showdown. The Chargers are getting test after test this year, and they get another one here. It's going to be the Browns versus the Chargers at uh, – the Los Angeles Chargers. And really, when we're taking a look at this, both teams, I think, have lived up to expectations this year. And honestly, I wasn't that impressed with Cleveland's offense, which I didn't have questions about Cleveland's offense last week. I had questions about their defense. And then their defense goes out and allows seven points. So that even raises my expectations for this team and what they could do when they're really firing on all cylinders. And we hit on it in the headline segment uh, again that this Chargers team is for real. Like, Justin Herbert is looking like a top five quarterback in this league. And the defense, when they're really hitting and they're really just firing on all cylinders, use the same experience, use the same metaphor again, they're dangerous. This is a team that can beat anybody. They can hang with anybody in this league, if not win every game. And honestly, when I'm taking a look at this game, it's a matchup of it's a heavyweight matchup, and I'm I'm going to go with this being a little bit of a trap game for the Chargers. I think they're going to get got here, and I'm going to go with the, the Cleveland Browns. I think the Cleveland Browns are going to retake the AFC North. The 
which is, it's just, a, it's a, it's just a little stumble for the Chargers here because they're still legit. They still have an opportunity to get it right. They're not going to win every single game. And I think this Cleveland Browns team is for real. After seeing that defense really operate against the Oakland, or excuse me, not the Oakland Raiders, the Minnesota Vikings, I think they're a force to be reckoned with. And I think this offense even has a better opportunity to get rolling, especially with that run game. They're going to really test the, the Chargers defense. Rolling into the next game, it's going to be a divisional matchup. It's going to be the New York Giants against the Dallas Cowboys at the Cowboys. And really, the Giants, I didn't think were going to win that game at any point last week. And then somehow they force OT and Saquon does Saquon things for the first time in a long time. And they win that football game. And when we look at the Dallas Cowboys, their defense has been head and shoulders above what I think anybody in this league expected them to be this year. Uh, Trayvon Diggs looks like an absolute budding superstar on their defense. He's got like five interceptions through like four games, which I don't know what that pace means. It means he's on pace for like over 16 interceptions on the year, which is absolutely crazy. But here we are. And really, I think this Dallas offense, top three offense in the league, like they're going to put points up in bunches as long as Dak Prescott does Dak Prescott things. And it seems like he's been doing it without any limitations because of his injury from last year. So I'm going to roll with the Dallas Cowboys again here at home. I don't think the Giants are a very good football team. I think the Dallas Cowboys are an above-average football team. And that's going to just win out in the end. Into the next game, it's going to be the 49ers at the Arizona Cardinals. And the Arizona Cardinals really burst onto the scene showing that they are the team this year. They they are really making a case that they are a top contender and everybody kind of laughed when J.J. Watt said he wanted to go somewhere, win a Super Bowl, and p- chose Arizona. Well, guess what? Here we are, and it's looking like a true statement. I'm going Cardinals. I'm riding this bandwagon over the 49ers. The 49ers didn't look like they quite had it together against uh, the Seahawks this last week. I think Arizona's going to be able to pour it on these guys, and I think that they're going to be able to limit that offense, especially with what they can do with their front seven. Rolling right into the next game here, it's going to be the Bills at the Kansas City Chiefs. And if it wasn't for a couple of the other matchups, this is probably the matchup to watch. The Chiefs haven't lived up to expectations. They talked about possibly going 17-0, which might have been a little far-fetched. But when we check it out here, this is going to be a shootout. The Bills have posted two shutouts on the year, 40-0 last week along with a like 38 to nothing or something like that against the Miami Dolphins a week or two back. And now they're going to get an opportunity to really showcase this offense against another terrible Kansas City defense, but another high-powered Kansas City offense. So it's going to be Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, a great showdown, MVP battle it out. I'm going with the Buffalo Bills. It seems like they're just on an absolute train wreck that nobody can stop. They're just firing Whenever, getting whatever they want, whenever they want want it. Brian Dable's a number one coordinator for a head coaching job at this point. Really like what they're doing, especially even in that, that weather game this past week. Bills over the Chiefs, that's going to be my pick this week. Which leads us into Monday Night Football, and we get the Colts at the Ravens. And the Colts team eked out a win after I thought that they were going to go 0-4 last week. And this Baltimore team gets a win against the Denver Broncos that nobody was really expecting. Or I shouldn't say nobody was really expecting, but was a little out of left field. Well, I think the Baltimore Ravens are going to get another one this week just because I don't think this Colts defense is as good as it's been in the last couple years under Eberflus. 
And I'm still suspect on that offense with Carson Wentz. I don't know if he's 100% healthy. I don't know if they're 100% good. But here we are. They're really fighting. They're battling it out. I think that they're going to really push the Browns for the AFC North at this point. They're going to surpass the Bengals as well. So I'm going the Ravens over the Indianapolis Colts in Week 5. So for our last segment this week, uh, we're going to add in one of these each week like we mentioned last week. And this week it's going to be our NFL draft stock check-in. So we're just going to check in on some guys that have really raised their stock this year and a few guys that have really really hurt their stock this year. So the first one, we're going to go with stock up first. And for the first guy that's got stock up, it's going to be Matt Corral. I think this guy has been absolutely electric this year and he is really poised for this like Zach Wilson meteoric rise this year. So he's a 6'1", 205 pound quarterback from Old Miss and he's currently a redshirt junior. Uh, on the year he's got 87 completions for 125 attempts, 1210 yards and 10 touchdowns, zero interceptions. And really the main thing that's been impressive with uh, Matt Corral is he had some some buzz coming into the year. I think I had him like graded like a, a second round pick. It wasn't like nothing impressive, but he's really been able to take care, take care of the ball while really being able to deal in that Lane Kiffin offense. He's got a uh, above average athleticism. I think he's on pace for like 500 yards rushing and like six or seven touchdowns around that, just like he had a book. Similar to the stats he had last year for Old Miss. But he's he's really shown a lot of like twitchiness being able to throw the ball around the field. And I know a lot of teams uh have been listening in into some of these podcasts and they're really impressed with him. And I know uh the folks over at TDN are really impressed with him as well too. They they really have him rising up the board. And uh I went and checked in on his film and I'm it's really impressive. The only game that he really kinda I don't wanna even say faltered, but didn't really get after it was Alabama. And it's really tough to look good against Alabama. But he still took care of the ball. He still had about 217 yards passing, one touchdown. So it's not exactly a black mark on his resume, but it's not something that was going to add to it. So Matt Corral has really seen his stock rise this year. Next up is going to be one of my favorite dudes in this entire NFL draft cycle. He's going to be one of my draft crushes. And it's going to be Jahan Dodson, the wide receiver of Penn State. And I've been on this guy all year, since probably July. And I'm absolutely in love with this guy's tape. This dude is electric. He is one of, if not the best college football receiver this year. Through five games, he's got 35 catches, 446 yards, and six touchdowns. So just to put that in perspective through five games, he had 52 catches all last year for 884 yards and eight touchdowns. So he was able to stretch the field a little more last year, but he's getting way more volume this year. And I've been impressed with his route running all along. The only question I had is he had a few concentration drops this past year. And really, that has gone away now. Uh, This dude just catches everything and. The only thing that's limiting him right now is, in my opinion, is Sean Clifford. And in my opinion, I think he's surpassed Garrett Wilson as wide receiver too. And I have him narrowly behind Chris Olave. And that's just because Chris Olave hasn't done anything wrong. Same for Garrett Wilson, hasn't done anything wrong. But this dude has just been proving people wrong left and right every week. 
And really, if he keeps up this pace, we're looking at a dude that's probably going to have a thousand yard receiving or thousand yards receiving, if not more. You see him get into a bowl game; it'll probably be eleven hundred, twelve hundred yards. Uh, he he might go off for two hundred one of these weeks and just completely reset the pace. So John Dotson, uh, wide receiver two on my board, still might be rising. Next up is going to be Evan Neal. We've seen Evan Neal have his stock go up uh, pretty much throughout this year as well too. There's a lot. Of, there wasn't any questions with this guy's run blocking, and uh, he made a seamless transition from right tackle to left tackle. And like I said, there was no questions about his run blocking. We all knew he was going to be a road grader. It was just an interesting to see if he was going to be able to get out in these pass sets, be able to use his athleticism in the run game and translate it over to pass sets and be able to move laterally and cover some of these speed rushers that are getting after it. And really, he's been a lot more fluid than people have been expect, expecting. And he's already vaulted himself into almost like a top five lock as long as we don't see any injury with him. I know teams have been really impressed with him. I've heard a lot of great things about this guy. And they love his athletic upside from what he's shown this year on tape. So Evan Neal, another guy that's been rising up our boards. Next up is going to be Jordan Davis, the interior defensive lineman for the Georgia Bulldogs. And Jordan Davis, in my opinion, before the year, was just kind of this run-stuffing nose tackle that didn't really have a place. Or he has a place, I should say. I don't want to say it that way. That sounds terrible. But he didn't really have much of a role other than a run stopper, you know, like a Tyler Shelvin this past year, a guy that gets drafted in like the third, fourth round that just kind of clogs the run legs, run lanes and gets in the way. But now this year, the entire Georgia defense has been extremely explosive, and you'll see that as we have more guys on our list here. But he's really shown some ability to warrant him staying on the field on third downs and passing situations where he can help collapse the pocket and there's a couple times you see him get lateral and like obviously when you're as big as he is the guy's 6'6 340 pounds you're not going to be the speed demon but he's able to use a little bit of lateral quickness to help try to chase down some of these runs some of these cutback runs so that's been impressive to me but we all knew he had explosive hands but just generating it play after play and being able to stay in the field in third downs I think I think teams are really going to be impressed by that uh, he's got currently 10 tackles, three for a loss, and one and a half sacks, which the one and a half sacks is just one shy of his uh, season high, and he did that in 10 games. So we're looking at a dude that's probably going to end up with like four or five sacks for an interior dude that has not even come close to sniffing those numbers before. So Jordan Davis seeing some serious, uh, seriously higher stock after this year. Next up is going to be Aiden Hutchinson of the Michigan Wolverines. And Aiden Hutchinson is an edge player uh, for the Wolverines. And their defense has always been known for having these edge players that kind of stick out. And going into the year, Aiden Hutchinson, I hadn't heard a lot of buzz uh, for him being like a, a top player or a first-round pick. When you take a look at his stats, he's got 18 total tackles, 6 for a loss, and 4.5 and sacks currently through 5 games. So if they play 10 games, you're looking at a nine-sack season for 12 tackles for a loss and 36 total tackles. That might end up being the best in the Big Ten, and that's going to get him first-team Big Ten honors most likely and most likely going to get him in All-American consideration. 
And for a guy that had played only two games last year, most likely due to injury, and only sniffed three and a half sacks the year before, that's quite impressive. And when you watch him on film, he's got a – and I'm not even saying this just because he's a white guy, but he's got a huge motor, and he's able to really do a good job using his hands. And he, but that's not going to get you first-round consideration. What's, what's going to get you first-round consideration is his jump off the ball. I think – his athleticism stands out, and what really separates him from the pack is his ability to use his hands on his rushes. I really love how he uses his hands, his swims, his rips to get past tackles, and it's only going to help him continue moving forward, especially uh, when he's looking for these recognitions in the Big Ten and Michigan's push to be even more than that this year. So Aiden Hutchinson, stock up. The last guy I wanted to outline for having stock up is going to be Nicobe Dean. He's the linebacker for Georgia. And he really stood out, I thought, the last couple weeks here on that that big time uh, Bulldog defense. So he's a six foot, 225 pound inside off ball linebacker. And through five games currently, he's got 18 total tackles, four for a loss, and three and a half sacks. So, in my opinion, the tackles for a loss have gone up 300% in five less games so he had one and a half last year and he had one and a half sacks last year so the three and a half sacks four tackles for a loss almost tripling what he's doing this last year into this year through half the games now the tackles haven't quite been there because obviously when you're an off-ball linebacker you're making a ton of tackles like he had 71 last year he's currently at 18 on the season so he's got time to make that that ground up but I just think that the splash plays, the ones that are really going to make a difference for your defense, the tackles for a loss and the sacks have really been impressive. His ability to, to come on stunts and blitzes, I've seen a couple of them this year. This dude is f- ferocious. And, like, he might be, like, Roquan Smith 2.0. And I'm not just saying that because they both went to Georgia. When you look at it, Roquan was 6'1", 225 pounds coming out of Georgia. And he had this tenacity about him and his ability to bring it on these blitzes. I really like it. I really like that comparison. And we might see this kind of rise for uh, for this man. So Nicobe Dean, huge stock up in that Georgia defense who's been killing it. So for the guys that have stocked down this year, so basically the guys that haven't lived up to the hype that's been placed on their shoulders coming into the year, uh, leading the pack here is going to be the low-hanging fruit, in my opinion. But uh, it's going to be Spencer Rattler. Uh, he's he's not quite lived up to what everybody pegged him to be this year. They all thought that he was going to be this big-time gunslinger. He's going to have this huge rise like Jalen Hurts had in this Lincoln-Riley offense. And he's really going to c- cement himself as that QB1 in this class. And when you take a look at his stats, they're not terrible. Uh, he's got like a 76% completion percentage for 1,260 yards, uh, 10 touchdowns, 4 picks. But the pick number is the one that is a little alarming to me. Because when you take a look, he's through five, it's only 5 games. So if you you'd basically extrapolate that out over 10-11 games, you're looking at 10-11 picks, which is almost probably around 60% more than what he had last year. He had 7 the past year. So you're, that tells me that your excuse me decision making is a little bit off, and I'm sure there's a few more he left out there. And I know it's his offensive line hasn't really been doing himself any favor, excuse me favors, but I just I can't shake it that he's there's more to be desired with this kid. Uh, 
he has all this arm talent. He's got a rocket for an arm, but he's always just trying to buy the bigger play. He's not just able to take the check down every now and then. And I think that's that gets him into trouble every now and then. So I'm just worried about, I don't want to say he's a broken prospect. I don't want to say he's not going to be a great NFL quarterback. I just have questions. I'm not, I'm not as confident in the evaluation as some people were in the preseason. I had him as my QB2 in preseason. He's he's fell in the down my rankings a little bit. I have him like a second round grade at the moment. And I'm going to put him like QB5-ish range. So Spencer Rattler, he's still got opportunities to make that up. But at the moment, uh, we're seeing his stock fall down. Next for the stock down guys this week is going to be Justin Ross, the wide receiver from Clemson. So Justin Ross missed the entire year last year with a neck injury. And uh, it's pretty impressive that he came back this year. I, I, we didn't know if he was ever going to play football again. But now through five games, Justin Ross has 23 catches for 231 yards and three touchdowns. That's a yard, That's an average of 10 yards per catch. To put that in perspective, when he was a sophomore, he had 66 catches for 865 yards and 13.1 yard average and eight touchdowns over 14 games. So he's on pace for more yardage, but he's not stretching the field like he has in the past. And I'm not exactly sure why. I don't know if that's just the limitations by his quarterback, but this offense's inability to score points has really cost him this year. And we've seen Clemson fall right out of the rankings. So that could be part of the reason why he's kind of suffering in his evaluation. And I already had him as like a second round, third round type of grade for a wide receiver. And I'm just, I haven't been that impressed. I don't see any explosiveness. I don't see his ability to stretch the field. Um, I just, I just don't really like this Clemson offense as a whole right now at the moment. So I think maybe he's just suffering due to that. Maybe he's still got the ability, but I need to see more. I need to see more if you're going to be one of these elite receivers we've seen come out in years past. Or maybe he is just what he is, is a second or third round receiver with some upside. But at this moment, I just don't see him getting any higher than what he's at. So Justin Ross, stock down. Next up for stock down is going to be the edge defender from the Ohio State, uh, Zach Harrison. And Zach Harrison was a uh, coming into the season touted to be the the next great Ohio State defender you know they have Chase Young they have the Bosa brothers that have came out in recent years and really launched their draft stock to into like top 10 status and Zach Harris just really hasn't lived up to that hype and really the Ohio State defense as a whole has really struggled this entire year but when you take a look at his stats uh, he's really not even posting that great of numbers. We're looking at about 11 total tackles and one sack and one tackle for a loss. And when we take a look at the year prior, he had two sacks and four and a half tackles for a loss. And he was more of even like a role player in the past year. He wasn't like the, this premier pass rusher. And now he, he gets the number one role here. We're, we're kind of expecting him to produce. And he just really hasn't lived up to that top 10 number one edge rusher hype. So it, as we said with all these guys, they still have time to prove us wrong. They still have time to really cement their draft stock and really get after it. But the way that this Ohio State defense has performed, and really most of how all football is won and lost is in the trenches, and it's it starts there. It starts up front. we got to start seeing some differences in these guys, and it starts with Zach Harrison. 
I think he has the ability, he has the body to really do it. The dude's 6'4", 6'6", 268 pounds. But we just need to see more from him. We need to see more of the the twitchiness, the strength, the speed, uh, speed to power rushes that we see from these traditional Ohio State rushers that they've really thrived in. And he's got the ability to be as well. So the last guy on our list here, uh, just because I don't really like to have... Uh, too many negatives. Um, really try to focus on the positives here, especially when we come to the guy's future NFL draft stock. Uh, it's going to be Rasheed Walker, and it's not necessarily even a negative with Rasheed Walker, but the the offense tackle from Penn State. It's just more so. I, I don't want to say disappointed isn't the right word, but I was expecting huge things for this guy. I, I remember when I watched his film this off season, I seen a dude that was like had the movement abilities of like very rare, like offensive tackles. And he had these violent hands and he was not afraid to like lay the boom on like these second level linebackers and defenders. And I really thought that he was going to end up being my offensive tackle one this year, especially if he threw a little bit of weight on and he did put some size. on. I think it said that he's listed as like 320 pounds on Penn state's website. And he played more at like 300 last year. So that's a significant amount of weight. That's that's back in the range that we want to see him in. And he's a 6'6 on offensive tackle. But when I turned on the tape this year, I don't see him moving as well as last year. So I just don't know if he's not handling the added weight as well. But I, I just I don't see him getting into pass sets. I don't see him getting wide enough, fast enough to help stick with some of these better rushers that he's going to be facing this year and even at the next level. So... Like I said, it's not a bad thing because I think his best trait now that he's got the size is we kick him inside to guard and we see what he can do there because he doesn't have to be as laterally quick then. He doesn't have to be get these wide pass sets on these wide nine rushers or any of that stuff. He's really just got to be able to have enough lateral quickness to deal with linebackers flowing in and over the top. So I think... It's, it's not necessarily a negative thing. It's going to be a little bit of a negative thing just because obviously you make more money when you're an offensive tackle and you get more recognition for it. But I, I thought he was going to have this this great projection where he was going to go offensive tackle one and surpass Evan Neal. And he just, he, did, he never quite did that. And he actually kind of went in the other direction here. So I think his future is more at guard after what I've seen from this year. And, uh, not necessarily a bad thing, but it's also not a good thing either for a guy that I had lofty expectations for. So Rasheed Walker, offensive tackle, Penn State. So that's going to be it for this week's episode. I just wanted to thank everybody for tuning in. Uh, once again, we do apologize for the re- late release. I just wanted to make sure we got all the, the new content that we had with all the breaking news come out in uh, for the episode as well, too. So make sure you subscribe, rate, review. Uh, make sure you tune in to next week's pod. We'll have another great episode playing for you guys uh, with our normal week in review reflections and headlines, uh, the predictions for the week prior, and then also just some added content at the end like we've been doing lately. So... Have a great football week, and we'll see you next week.